This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. When Martin Kine was a disgruntled marketing consultant, he wrote a book called House of Lies. Millions of copies sold, a television offer, nearly five seasons and dozens of episodes later. That tale has been heard in one form or another by the masses. But Marty's marketing story doesn't end there. Today, Marty is the SVP of strategy for Marketing Cloud at Salesforce, and he joined Marketing Trends for an in-depth conversation on what he sees happening in the industry today. Plus, he discusses his new book and why data continues to push marketers forward. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Marty. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Ian? It is great to have you. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Obviously, we love Salesforce and, and you're the amazing sponsor of the show. But beyond that, you've been doing some amazing work. Uh, you're writing a book uh, that's going to be out soon called Customer Driven. And we're going to talk a lot about data, um, which is at the, at the top of mind for every marketer. But before we get into all that, how'd you get started in marketing? That's a good question. I've had a very strange career, Ian. Uh, I have a hard time explaining it to my mother. But uh, when I look back, I realize I started wanting to be a journalist in New York in the 90s, writing for magazines back when there were magazines. <laughs> and it seemed like a viable career. And I ended up at MTV uh, Networks on a show called Pop-Up Video. And I wrote the little bubbles in the blurbs, which is the, the peak of my journalist experience. And then after that, I went into um, to business school. I wanted to be a management consultant, probably the only person at the time who wanted to be one. And I thought it would be glamorous and sexy to be a media consultant. And then the dot-com bomb happened in 2001. And so I ended up in over-the-counter healthcare, over, over the counter healthcare consulting, which is just what it sounds like. And then uh, I ended up at an ad agency doing direct marketing and measurement. And that was the kind of the beginning of my marketing advertising career. And it was through consulting, it was sort of, it was um, strategic engagements. And the career was actually called measurement. I pick all these glamorous ones. The measurement was basically the impact of ad campaigns. And it was, um, you know, digital campaigns. How did they do looking at search and display and so on? And I was in that field for about 10 years. And then I went to Gartner as an industry analyst covering advertising technology and marketing technology and measurement still. Now it will be called data science, by the way. I would get a retroactive promotion. Uh, and then I joined uh, Salesforce about two years ago. So it's always been on the MarTech and, and analytics side. And in, interestingly enough, in the beginning, that was not the sexy part of marketing. Uh, and now it is. Of course, if you're the, the data scientist on the campaign, you're the coolest person there. But it was the exact opposite 20 years ago. So I've, I've ridden the wave up. Yeah, the closest, closest person to, uh, to proof uh, ends up being uh, ends up being the most valuable person in the room. I, I do. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on the pop up video stuff because I'm endlessly fascinated in that. But flash forward to today, you know, what does it mean to be SVP of strategy for marketing cloud at Salesforce? 
It's uh, it's an interesting job. It spans product management, product marketing, and with a flavor of thought leadership. I think when I was hired, which was two years ago, it was around a specific problem. It was, and it was into the product organization. You know, software companies are structured with pretty defined roles. So you're in either in product management, which is sort of halfway between engineering and marketing, or you're in product marketing, which is um, what it sounds like, or you're in sales or you're an engineer. So there are four basic roles. And this is close to product management. And the question was around the customer data platform category, CDP, which was the hottest and is probably still the hottest category in MarTech uh, that's come along in a long time. Since 2016, it's just been hyped out of, out of control. It's kind of like insider hype. If you're in the business, you know what I'm talking about. If you're outside, you'd be like, what? what's a CDP? But it's, it's a big deal. And the question at Salesforce was, do we have one? Should we acquire? It was a build, buy, acquire, that kind of thing. And they needed someone from the outside who wasn't sort of inside the, the Salesforce system Having come as a as an analyst, an industry analyst who knew the industry and who knew kind of the outsider perspective to say, you know, what is what does Salesforce need to do? And I knew coming in that we needed to build acquiring's harder than it looks um, to build something, and that's what we've done. And in fact, we're launching that in uh, next month, version one. So it's been a, a tremendously major effort on Salesforce's part to pivot engineers and to uh, develop this net new product called Customer Three Hundred and Sixty Audiences which is a CDP. And in fact, the topic of our book, Customer Driven, I wrote it with my colleague, Chris O'Hara, to give him full credit, the multi-talented Chris O'Hara. He and I wrote this book about customer data platforms. It's not about Salesforce, but it is about this category, which is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, well, we've seen, uh, I mean, you name it, startup getting snatched up, uh, data startups getting snatched up right and left, uh, being acquired, uh, we yeah. just, you know, recently had uh, some massive IPOs around data companies. I mean, clearly, data is where it's at. It's not the new oil. <laughs> it's not the new oil because that phrase literally never made sense. But, um, <laughs> but it is, you know, the lifeblood of every marketer. And if you don't have an extremely strong philosophy in data, you're probably going to be left really far behind which is pretty counter to the days of marketers creating, you know, ad copy and doing some of the things that you were doing earlier in your career, specifically around ad agencies and things like that. I mean, you know, going from that to agency or from agency to, to analyst, you know, to here, yeah. I'm curious, like, what has that evolution been like for you? It's, I mean, it's, it's bimodal. It's uh, bimodal is, even just saying that kind of makes me a nerd, but it, it's a uh, left brain, right brain. And, and it's definitely, I, I, I do this presentation sometimes where I say, how has marketing changed, you know, over the past 20 years as a, as a discipline? And I remember when I was in business school, as I said, it was right before the, the dot-com bomb. So 2000, 2001 in Columbia. And you could tell the people who were interested in marketing back then just by looking at them. They were like slightly better looking, you know, they, they dressed better. And they were, you know, I wouldn't say the social skills were definitely better. They were less interested in uh, making money and more interested in hanging around with celebrities. And I I mean, I'm being reductive in a way. I was one of them, so I can say this. But uh, it was definitely a kind of a branch of show business marketing. And today, it it really isn't. I mean, that part hasn't gone away. Obviously, you have influencers, you have celebrities, you have fonts and all that stuff. But it's a lot less around the big campaigns and um, what we might call the softer side of marketing. 
And it's a lot more about the, the foundational data layer and you have to you know, be able to talk to data scientists and give them credible instructions. And you have to be able to understand things like statistical significance that marketers didn't have to worry about in the past. So I think it's, it's a profession that has really um, shifted, but it hasn't really shed what it was in the past. So it's, uh, it's that, I mean, it makes it interesting, but it also makes it very difficult to succeed. You know, as a CMO, you see a CMO tenures being very short, and it's because they have to be a statistician and an artist. And there aren't that many people who can do both. So, you know, it's the long way around for saying that my background is, is strangely appropriate because I was like in TV and then I was in business school. And so if you have those two elements, I think you can negotiate this, this strange new world. Uh, it's moving more toward the data side than the creative side, I would say. But we might, we might see a swing back. So pop-up video is one of the great <laughs> all-time shows. Um, I, how, I don't really know how it's not still a thing. I mean, is it still a thing? It should be if it's not. It's influential, you know, definitely. It was, for those who don't know, it was, um, it was on VH1 in the US and MTV networks in Europe. And it, it was basically just music videos that we had an overlay, little bloops, um, you know, bubbles that, that appeared on top of the video. And they were, the best ones were facts about the making of the video, kind of basically what I would call, you know, journalism. And then if we had no facts, we would fill it with random trivia, usually about the artist, but it was all true. I mean, everything we said, that was one of the rules. It had to be triple source. Some of it was maybe just single source, but wow, it, was all, no way. it was all true. Not only that, we couldn't repeat anything. So it became very difficult. The first Michael Jackson video was easy, but you know, the sixth Michael Jackson video <laughs> kind of scraping at the bottom there, but I, it was fascinating. I mean, I got to do, I got to meet some of my interview, some of my, uh, idols like Debbie Harry from Blondie, Duran Duran, people who, you know, people who were around in the eighties will remember. And uh, it, it was an extremely difficult job because it became very, very popular, very fast. It was my, you know, exposure to instant fame behind the scenes. It, we were on Oprah. Uh, we did two Oprah episodes. We did um, an episode of news radio. We had, we were on MT, uh, NBC primetime shows. We're getting popped and all of that stuff had to be done by me and there were, there were other writers too. And uh, we had to stay up, you know, in terms of hours worked, I've never worked that hard. In terms of stress, it was just unbelievable. But it was, yeah, it was I mean, a fun job. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's such a great, you know, segue into kind of the data-driven marketing approach because yeah. A, it was a killer product that what I remember so much about pop-up video is the perfect thing to have on in the background at a party or something like that because the music video, the TV could be on, the music could be off for the, for the actual music video. You didn't care what the music video was. Or if like you were at like a loud restaurant or bar or something like that, and you could just watch the music video and the pop-ups, right? It's like this kind of perfect background visual that you could like sort of pay attention to, sort of not much to your chagrin as someone who spent painstaking effort writing all those things. But, but I always wonder like, those type of things that people really loved, how does that come back around in a product, you know, these days? I feel like, especially, you know, with, with TikTok and all this stuff, it seems like something like that could easily make a comeback and, and just waiting for the right marketer to figure it out. It's been very influential. There's, there's a lot of, it's sort of co commentary on an underlying piece of content. So we call it like a meta comment. And that was what it was, because the video was the content, but we were this running commentary. 
similar to there was a show called Mystery Science Theater 2000 or 3000, but it was yeah, 3000. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. And they were just, they were calm. They would watch a movie, an old movie and comment on it. And uh, it's the same idea. And I think that's really the the mode of, of a lot of content discourse now. It's, it's kind of like if you watch TikTok, there'll be parodies of things. So there'll be people recreating like album covers and that'll be a whole challenge. And that's really a comment on the content. So it's, it's everyone, everything is sort of a, at one remove and it's, um, we're all sort of not living in, in the experience. We're living on the kind of meta experience, which is outside the experience. I, I do think it was, it was ahead of its time. And also the, the viral phenomenon. I mean, it went, um, it was the beginning of this phase of virality where we have, you know, the internet existed in 1999, 2000. It was newish, but uh, things started to go viral. Right around then was Blair Witch Project, which, you know, had a lot of kind of digital hype around it. And so I think we were at the very beginning of, we were one of the first viral phenomenons. And then we're also the, kind of this meta thing. So I think it, it has a, a lasting legacy that's subtle, but um, I would love for it to come back. I think we, it would need music videos. I don't know if those exist anymore. Oh, no, they totally do. That's do the they? funny Excellent. thing. Yeah. So that's actually the really funny thing that I was thinking <laughs> about um, as we were prepping for this episode is... Um, no, that's one of the things that has gone absolutely nowhere. And the way the music is like delivered and shared now is completely different, especially if you're an artist now, if like you're an independent artist up and coming, making music videos is more important than ever because you can get all of these the extra. Yeah. yeah, you can get all of this and all the platforms are, are geared towards, you know, small shareable videos. Right. So people will still try to, you know, one up themselves as someone who's been in, in a couple uh, music video shoots myself uh, to my my acting uh, unnamed credits. Um, <laughs> well, you do live in California. I think that's sort of is required. Yeah, that's right. Same way everyone in New York where I live has to have a blog. Pretty yeah, much. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, but but I think it is. It's a really important point about like how marketers can think about enhancing content versus creating, right? Because that's one of the things I saw, and I forget whose Twitter it was um, off the top of my head. But someone was uh, someone who has like a wildly popular Twitter account posted basically like their rules for sharing. You know, a lot of it was doing things the way that that. Uh, young folks right now are are using the internet where it's not so much about like you know creating the 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 gif or the meme or whatever it's about sharing the right thing with the right context at the moment in time where like that makes sense you know if uh the guy bam has this crazy block in uh in the nba playoffs it's about sharing the right message at that exact time is the thing that uh that they were doing and then they were they would like hijack you know, really famous uh, accounts that were sharing really funny videos and then giving it extra context to whatever the problem it is that they have. So it's like, you know, if you have a, a, a marketing leader, it would be like, you know, that feeling when you're you're going through like that time when you're you're submitting your your budget uh, to the CEO and uh, and think it's almost going to pass and then it gets rejected or whatever. That's kind of lame. But the idea is like contextual relevance is more important than ever. And speed is more important than ever. And those two things are not necessarily how marketing teams are designed right this second. Well, you know, that uh, that brings us to customer data again, because it's very relevant segue. And it reminds me of a, uh, a book that was written by my, my friend and colleague, Matt Sweezy, who works at Salesforce, called Context Marketing. And he yeah, talks we had about him on the, the show. 
I mean, Sweezy, a great guy, and uh, he he's right. I mean, he's he's he said marketing shifting so that you you need to be able to kind of inject yourself into the the life stream of somebody. They they sort of curating their own feeds, and um, you as a marketer need to know what's going on, and you also need to know a little bit about them so that you can inject the message in in in, in that stream and influence people in the right moment in the context of their life. And I think that's always been the goal in a sense. It has been difficult though, because you know, how much do we know about individuals and then how much can we influence what they see in a digital platform? And, but it's becoming more and more uh, possible. Technology's improved for one thing. Things like um, mobile device helps a lot if you're a marketer because people carry the mobile device with them and they're engaged with the mobile device you know, all day long. <laughs> So if you have permission from customers, you, you can do a lot better contextual marketing, but what it requires fundamentally, and Matt, you know, Matt would agree with this, and I think it gets to the customer data platform question, it requires that you have really good, clean customer data that's, um, that has been integrated from all your different marketing systems. The issue has always been over the years, and I've seen this myself, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen it, and um, the people you have on the show have seen it, that marketing has um, just acquired a lot of applications and, you know, mobile became a thing. So they got a mobile analytics platform and social, you had to have a higher social team. Then they got their, you know, social listening platform and social publishing. And then there was obviously a web team and, you know, it just, it started to accumulate and uh, it, it wasn't, just poor planning. It was just basically marketers trying to take advantage of things that appeared, new channels that appeared. And that's not going to stop. That never stopped. But what, what we end up with today is a situation where there could be information about the same customer sitting in 10 or 12 different or you know, up to 100 different applications. And that's a problem because, first of all, you look like an idiot if you're, you know, sending promotional campaigns to someone who said they didn't want them or someone who's got an open ticket on your, you know, call center or someone who's complaining in social channels or you just look disconnected. And um, you also can't do this contextual marketing that we were talking about earlier because you, you don't have a full picture of the customer. So that really, the whole point of the CDP, customer data platform, what we wrote about in Customer Driven me and Chris O'Hara, is that uh, it's about integrating data from different systems. That's what it's about. And it's not, it doesn't sound glamorous. It's not sexy. It's like plumbing. But it's step one. And it's really the, you know, the most important part. And I think that's what marketers are grappling with and trying to get a handle on now. So that's why it's, yeah. I mean, it's an exciting category. Yeah. Yeah. And I think plumbing is the perfect, uh, it's the perfect example, <laughs> right? Because it's well, like, where would we be without plumbing? I mean, really, if you think about it. So. Oh, I know. I, yeah, I, <laughs> our, our streets would be a little different. Medieval. Yeah. And what well, I, but I think it's, it's the perfect, it's the perfect comparison here because I think that so much of, you know, the, the CMOs that we talk to on this show or marketing leaders, uh, they come into a new role, they have legacy systems, they have, you know, legacy data, they don't know what's going on. So, you know, their website's all wonky, you know, they, they, they want to do a brand redesign because, you know, uh, it's like the head coach changing their offensive coordinator, right? You do the brand redesign and, you know, they get under the hood and they're like, you know, none of this stuff is talking in the way that I want it. None of the plumbing is right. So, you know, wh when someone has that problem, is this the time where they're looking at like, hey, I need a customer data platform and like, what the heck is this thing? Yeah, the uh, I mentioned I was a, a Gartner analyst before, so up till two years ago, and I covered this space, CDP. It was one of my areas in the... Um, we kept track of the questions we were asked by our customers. These, this is a research company, basically, kind of like stock research, but for technology. 
And the number one question in terms of you know popularity frequency was what is this thing we call a CDP? <laughs> Basically some version of that. Like what is it? It wasn't even a typical question might be in another category, like give me a short list. You know, I want to, I'm gonna do an RFP and I want the top five, you know, web analytics vendors or whatever. Um this was just what is it? What is this thing I keep hearing about? And you know, my answer to that, well, it's you know, it's a it's a newish category. It's sort of like an evolution of CRM for B two C, and it does data integration, and it will help you kind of do data management, and and um, it'll it just just basically helps you organize your customer data, and it's easy to use. So we'll say that those things, and then you know they're like, well, that sounds like something I need, but do I already have it? And that's a harder question because I think a lot of people are handling customer data today, no matter who you are. Somehow, you know, it's it's being handled somehow. A lot of times, it turns out there's there's some internal team, like an IT team, who has a homegrown solution. They they spun up a data lake, or they they built a kind of a data mart, or some form of single view of the customer golden record. So then you get into the tension between the CMO and the CIO and IT and marketing. And marketing says it's not fast enough, and you know IT says well it's secure. And so there's there's a lot of dimensions to this issue. I think that the market has calmed down a little bit. It was very bubbly and overhyped two years ago. And there were a hundred over a hundred vendors who called themselves CDPs and no two of them were alike. They, they were all, <laughs> some of them had been something totally different two years ago and now suddenly they're a CDP. So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of what we call hype and a lot of noise. And that has settled down a little bit. It's gotten more mature. And I think the buyers, the CMOs are asking better questions in the RFPs and they're getting a lot more focused on, well, what am I trying to accomplish? It's very sexy to to find a new category and to um, you know issue an RFP and then get the vendors to trot in and do their spiel. It's kind of fun to do that. You learn a lot. You meet people. But at the end of the day, when you're trying to sign the contract, you're like, well, what am I actually trying to accomplish? Because I'm trying to get a return on investment here. And that that's a really hard question to ask. And it means you need a really good data strategy. You really need to know your, your business strategy. There's more elements to that. So th- these are good questions that are being asked. I think it's... Um, it's a deep question. It, it spreads beyond marketing into, into IT and, and other areas, service and commerce. And um, it's, it's probably, probably the most foundational question that the CMO can be asking now. You know, what's the state of my customer data and what's my plan for my customer data? Well, you know, and I think, you know, CDP is kind of the, the plumbing, you know, to continue the analogy. It's like you could say, you could make an argument that like the structure of your house is like, are we like a funnel-based organization or like a flywheel-based organization? Like, how do we view marketing, sales, service? Like, do we actually put our customer at the center of the show here? Or do we just kind of, you know, dump them at the bottom? And then once it's closed one, we're off to the next thing. And I think that that's like a fundamental shift in marketing because like this stuff didn't really matter that much if you're like, well, you know, after that, they're just kind of sales responsibilities, or maybe it goes to customer success or whatever, but marketing doesn't continue talking to them as much. Yeah. Now you have companies, especially if you're, you know, if you're land and expand type of a company, it's like, you need to have like really smart, nuanced dialogues with them where it's like, you know, if you have just the industry vertical of like, hey, they just have, you know, the finance product, or if you have a suite of products, like how you do that, uh, talking to someone like they're not a customer when they are or vice versa, you know, as as, as you point out, um, you know, in, in the book is like, 
you know, disconnected data equals dissatisfied customers, right? So, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like that's not great. And it's a, it's a terrible uh, customer journey. And now that marketers are so, you know, in tune with thinking about customer journeys, like what, how can they afford not to have some sort of CDP, right? I mean, you have to, you have to handle, you know, whether or not it's a, it's a particular vendor or a particular piece of software, you have to have a handle on customer data. And I think it, you know, some companies can solve it themselves. Some can assemble their own solution. I think the, the truth of the matter is that consumer, particularly on the consumer side, but also on B2B, the buyers are being conditioned by the people who do it best. And on the consumer side, we can think of um, players like Amazon who, who know us very well. I mean, they, they are extremely coordinated. And I would never get an email from Amazon that didn't reflect what I purchased. And I would never get a recommendation lately that wasn't relevant. And so that's the bar. It's being, it's being raised. And so if you, don't, if you don't start to organize your customer data as a competitor, you know, if you're a retailer, and even if you're not, uh, the consumers expect it. You know? And so by standing still, in a way, each year you fall behind as a marketer. And if you stand still completely, you'd be out of business in five years. So I think that now, now is an important moment to kind of get, get more of a handle and organization around your customer data. The other issue that we haven't talked about is, is privacy and consent and not just regulated, but in general, having a trusted relationship with consumers. So you'll see a lot of sites you'll go to now will be you know, asking for your permission to do various things. That's just the beginning of, of trying to collect first party data, we'd call it, from customers. And almost everyone needs to do that now you know, have a, a relationship with, with their best customers. Even consumer products brands who you would think wouldn't really have a relationship, <laughs> companies that traditionally would do television, uh, like, you know, if you think of somebody like Coca-Cola, they didn't have any relationship with consumers at all. It was all, you know, very, very upper funnel. But companies like that, you know, in the future will be going to direct to consumer and uh, will need first party data. They'll be emailing that kind of thing. So it's a big shift and it's, it's a multi-year shift. It's not going to happen overnight. Well, so I'm trying to think of how does this go wrong, right? How does like data capture <laughs> go wrong? Because like, I mean, I'm a pretty firm believer, especially in B2B and you know, B2C, it's a little different, but like, yeah. I can't stand form fills. I can't stand, you know, people not knowing who I am or, you know, reaching out incorrectly or doing those sort of things. Like, it just seems like table stakes for me. I'm like, why do I need to put in, you know, my zip code? Like, why do you need that? But some marketers require that. And it just seems like they're at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, no, they, they are. I mean, I think it's, uh, the, where it can go wrong, I would look at it slightly differently is that they're, there's a lot of control now shifting into the big players' hands. And we see this in advertising where the so-called walled gardens are getting greater share of ad spend. And I think in general, though, in, in uh, negotiating the internet, we're, we're seeing a lot more of the, the browsers taking a more prominent spot. So the browsers are owned by and operating systems. They're owned by Google and they're owned by Apple for the most part. So that would be Android and, and the Safari browser and Chrome browser. And um, those, are, those are really the level between the consumer and the device or the consumer and the internet. And anything else is at a slight disadvantage. So what I mean by that is um, if, if one of the browsers decides, you know, you're going to log in with their login, 
So this would be, I don't want to pick on anybody. So I'll pick Browser X. They say, you know, you log in with Browser X. And so that will be your universal login for the internet. That would be great for identity. But on the other hand, it does give that, that the owner of that browser a lot of control. So I think the, the challenge here, and we're, we haven't decided what the future looks like, but the challenge here is that the big just get bigger and bigger and that everybody else is just not able to gather enough data to compete. So they'll have to be almost like um, parasites or sort of hanging off these major platforms, even just to stay in business. And I don't think that's ultimately good for innovation. It's not good for business. It's, it's certainly not good for the, uh, the companies. It's good for the big companies, not good for the little ones. So I, I would hate to see a world where there's like just the haves and the rest of us are all have-nots. I don't want to get dystopian, although it's that kind of year, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I do know there's a teenage girl out there who's going to solve this whole thing for us. Oh yeah, for sure. Without a Um, doubt. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm waiting for it too. I think that's probably the part of the problem. We're all like somebody out there who's smart enough to, I know she's planning something. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Um, so as you were writing, uh, customer driven, what were some of the things as you were, you know, trying to understand and like frame the scope of the the scope of the problem and and how CDPs play into the solution of this and that idea of like harmonizing customer data, uh, so marketers can use it better. Like, what were some of the things that kind of like surprised you about where we're at in kind of the the evolution of this? Well, the most surprising thing to me personally was that most marketers don't seem to know what they want to accomplish with customer data, uh, everybody will agree, yes, I want a single view of the customer. You know, I want a customer 360. You probably won't find anyone who say, no, I don't want that. On the other hand, if you then ask the next question, which seems obvious, okay, so what would you do with that customer 360 if you had it? There's a lot of hemming and hawing and pausing. And I know two years ago, one of my tasks was to look at all the RFPs for customer data platform that we were getting there are hundreds of them. And this was basically marketers putting a list of their requirements. This is what I need you to deliver to me. We're like, okay, what are they asking for? What are marketers asking for when they're, at, when they're buying a CDP? And uh, it was all over the place. You know, it was like a laundry list of everything and their grandmother that they could ever imagine wanting. It, you know, everything from I want to improve my social media engagement rate to I want to do better television advertising to it was sort of outrageous, the, you know, the, the lack of clarity, I would say. And that's, that holds true today if you're asking for what are you going to do with your customer 360, other than just vague things like better marketing or be more relevant. If you get really specific, it, you know, mar- yeah, a lot of people are doing it and they're doing it well, but most marketers, I think, would, would pause. And that surprised me. I think where we ended up with is that the, the use cases are they're specific. There's a few of them. Uh, improving emails is a good one. Improving uh, uh, segmentation. So coming up with more and better segments and predictive models is another one. But they are requiring a level of discipline that we didn't think that marketers wouldn't, wouldn't have to be taught. So that was one. And we're discovering what the 360 view is going to be good for. So that was one surprise. And then the other one was in the CDP um, marketplace, the vendor marketplace itself that uh, there were themes, actually. There's like the system of insights, so single view of the customer, and then system of engagement, which is more around real-time, real-time engagement. And our thesis in this book, and Customer Driven, is that you need both. So in a way, the CDP is the wrong name. It's kind of like uh, you need CDP plus or CDP plus plus to have what people think is a CDP. So the complexity of the market was um, a surprise to me. 
Yeah, could, could you unpack that for a second? Sure. Because I think it's a pretty crazy uh, insight that, you know, so many folks are kind of have this laundry list of things that they want, but like don't necessarily know the impact. So well, what does a CDP++ look like? Well, a CDP++ has, um, it has two main components. The thing that people, when they, you know, if you go to a conference or in the past, I guess it would be a virtual conference now, and you say to some marketer, all right, uh, you know, tell me what a CDP does. You're going to get better answers now than you used to, but it will be some, some version of, you know, it's a, it is a, an application um, that either, you know, spins up or in some way creates a database. And that database includes customer information that's organized and that comes from multiple systems, multiple, you know, customer system sources. And so it's a way of kind of ingesting and organizing customer data. So that, that's a, what we would call, and I think we borrowed this term from Forrester, a system of insight. That's what we think of as a CDP. Now, there's another type of system, system of engagement, which is much more, for instance, the example would be um, someone arrives on my, on my site, my website. They, I've never seen them before, so they're anonymous. And I get their permission you know, the, to collect data about them. So they're starting to exhibit behaviors on the site. And right away, I can start building a profile. I, I don't know them. I don't know their name. I don't know their email. I don't really know anything. But I can see what they're doing. And all of a sudden, you know, I can see they're interested in a certain loan category or their certain type of, you know, clothing, men's shoes or in the market for men's shoes. So I can learn quite a lot and I can do personalized marketing in that session, in that moment. That's a much more real time. Um, it can be fast analytics but it, or, or rules based, but it's, it really is an engagement in that session. That's different than the single view of the customer that is slower, that kind of sits in um in the cloud where I can build, you know, AI models on top of it, uh, the system of insight that might take 80 hours to generate, you know, a good usable true AI model off of that database. So I think these two things like fast and slow in the moment and then, you know, retrospective and, and canonical and persistent. And those two systems are, are different, but they're complementary. And I think you, to do great marketing, you, you need, you need both and they need to be connected in Salesforce terms, if I may, uh, Customer 360 audiences would be our system of insight. That's the CDP we're launching. And then Interaction Studio, which is based on Evergage, which we acquired, a company we acquired this year, earlier this year, that would be a system of engagement, you know, to put the rough labels on it. So a full CDP++ would include, you know, both of those elements. Got it. Um, Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about what 360 audiences is going to be? It it was a big effort. It was um, built by Salesforce engineers. So it's an organic product. It's aligned with marketing cloud. I think it's a cross cloud. It's available for everyone, but, but it was mostly the requests were coming from marketing, at least in the initial stages. So it's aligned with the marketing cloud. In the Salesforce world, we have sales cloud, we have service cloud, marketing cloud, commerce cloud. And it, it is a, it's a CDP, like system of insight, we'll say. It's built on the core platform. Those of you who know Salesforce, know that it started with sales cloud and then we built service cloud on top of basically the components of sales cloud, which is why um, it could be built so quickly and was so advanced. And then this this customer 360 audiences is, is part of that overall Salesforce platform story. So it's the first part of marketing cloud that is built natively from the ground up on top of the core platform, which for, you know, outsiders, you might not be able to tell, um, but for insiders, it's, it's, hugely significant because what that means is 
it looks and feels like Salesforce. It's using the Lightning interface. The front end is Lightning. All the components that you're used to, you can use. It uses the Salesforce data model. So if you've already built a custom model for one of the other clouds, you can you can import it easily. And the other thing is the App Exchange. So apps, um, it is being readied and and will be available to App Exchange developers to kind of plug and play. And the reason that's important, the platform piece, is that. Um, if you look at Scott Brinker, you know, the MarTech map or into Lumascape, there's thousands of logos on there and they're all different marketing applications. And our goal, ultimately, the vision for customer 360 audiences is that they can all be an app sitting on top of, of our CDP. We're not trying to build them all and market them all and sell them all. Uh, it, these could all be uh, independent developers plugging into our system. So it's really, I think it's exciting. It's a, it's a multi-year journey. Um, what's coming out in October is just V1, it's version one. We're getting there. Uh, we've come a long way and, and we still have you know, somewhere to go, but uh, it, is, it is the start of, I think, something that no one else is doing. I think we can pull it off. So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that, you know, in, when you were looking at RFPs, that it seemed like there's kind of a, a desire, you know, quote unquote, get started that, you know, people realize they have a problem and they're trying to figure that out. But I'm curious, you know, to our to our CMOs and marketing leaders in the audience that are trying to get started with the CDP or just like reimagine their strategy around this, um, what would be your your best piece of advice? Um, I think starting with the, the audit, two, two things. One is the data audit, which um, many companies haven't done. And, and it can be simple. It's simply, it could be, you know, it could be anything from a single meeting to, you know, a series of workshops, but just figuring out where your customer data is sitting today and um, what the form is. So if you have a well-documented data dictionary, this would be really easy. But a lot of companies will be surprised that, you know, they don't really know and they'll have to do some digging. But just figuring out, you know, what's the status quo? Where is it sitting? And then the second um, piece of advice is that use the use case thing. So if I had, just imagine a scenario, if I had a 360 degree view today, what would I do with it? And then try to figure out, just estimate what the economic value would be. Um, a lot of you know, companies that we know, for instance, they, um, there was one, they were in the medical device field and they had 16 systems that had data about different doctors and they were wanted to run a training program and so they thought if we can consolidate this data around all the doctors we can figure out which doctors need which training you know that's a very specific use case and they could figure out you know what that would be worth to them so um, do an exercise like that and so then you can kind of start to sketch out what the economic value is of of data coordination and then you can figure out what your budget is, and you know if you need if you need to try a test to see if you can validate it, or if you you know if you get so much value out of even a, a minor win, you know you can go out to the RFP world. Marty, I'm really excited for uh, for everybody to be able to to dive into customer driven. Uh, when's the book come out? Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, customer driven, the book that that I co-wrote with Chris O'Hara is coming out from uh, from Wiley Publishers in uh, November. The goal is uh, first as an ebook and then as a hardcover to follow and then paperback. And it will be available in, uh, you know, your local store, um, online ordering and uh, Salesforce will make it available to customers as well. So if you have a, a customer rep, you can uh, give them a call. Awesome. Well, we'll have to have you uh, have to have you back uh, towards the end of the year when when the uh, when the book is live. Of course. Anytime. OK, let's get into our lightning round. 
these questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce. I don't need to tell you, Marty, you live it every day. Um, <laughs> so true. For our, for our listeners who've been listening to 200 plus episodes here and don't know, Marketing Trends is brought to you by uh, Salesforce and we love them. So Salesforce brings marketing engagement together. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. And we were talking about that today, just today. Um, automate engagement with every customer. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Marty, are you ready? I think I'm ready. Number one, what is your favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Uh, I really liked a book called How Brands Grow, which is a classic by a guy named Byron Sharp. And I think it, I don't know, it's a little, maybe 10 years old now, but it's pretty counterintuitive. And the guy is saying that uh, in a way, segmentation doesn't work. And the only way to grow as a brand is to do mass advertising on television. <laughs> that is a wild premise. Maybe we'll get into that in our next, uh, in our next episode when we have you back. We can talk about... Uh, that premise because that that's we'll dive yeah. dive into that good stuff um what hobby or habit have you picked up in shelter in place uh <laughs> well i i have always been a fan in in the real world of dance particularly uh classical ballet and and i live in new york which is a big dance town but i have watched a lot of dance videos from all over the world and i've become a big fan of uh, stuttgart ballet and some of the german companies they're kind of like sprockets, you know, that thing on Saturday Night Live. So the dance video habit has really overtaken me. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? Either I would be a, a bitter journalist, an embittered journalist, or I would be a frustrated computer programmer. What is one question you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Are you like Marty Khan, the character in House of Lies on Showtime? <laughs> Are you? No. <laughs> That's the short answer. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little. Inside. Sure. Um, Marty, awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. We got to have you back soon. Uh, this was this was awesome. Obviously, our our listeners should check out your book as soon as it comes out. Customer driven. Uh, look for it uh, everywhere where you can find books. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah. Also, I have a website, martinkine.com. And there's some, some thoughts and musings on there about marketing. So you might enjoy that. Awesome. Take care. Thanks, Ian. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels.
But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.